Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Cheryl Toth and Mike Sakopoulos, and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. We can all remember that person who helped us advance academically or professionally. Whether it was as simple as a well-timed, kind word or a prolonged series of avuncular advice, we've all benefited from the efforts of others. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Randy Bickle about physician mentors. We will look at what makes for a profitable mentor-mentee relationship and the importance of leadership. With gratitude to those that have aided us on our personal and professional journeys, let's begin. My guest today on Sound Practice is Dr. Randy Bickle. He is the CEO and Medical Director of Olympia Medical LLC and a family practice physician at St. Joe's Medical Group. He's board certified in family medicine and geriatrics. Dr. Bickle has been practicing for more than 30 years. He is a board member of the American Association for Physician Leadership. Dr. Bickle teaches residents and students from medical schools and hospitals across Michigan. He encourages all students to learn and understand not only medical aspects of their job, but the social and leadership aspects of medicine, which will allow them to grow, be physician leaders. Dr. Bickle, thank you for joining us on Sound Practice. Yeah, my pleasure, Mike. I look forward to it. So I need a little help. Can you tell me the difference between mentorship and coaching? So I think mentorship compared to coaching is where people actually come in and and they're looking for a specific outcome and they're going with people that are trained to help them to develop skills to achieve a goal they have, which might be a new job or to move forward in their job or their position. Um, Whereas mentoring is basically doing it by example. Now, there's certainly some form of coaching and mentoring, but it's the idea of getting students, residents, younger people that are going into medicine to see how you do it, why you do it, and to also give them advice on how they can step forward, do the same things you do, but also uh, to get them excited and, and hopefully involved in becoming leaders and being mentors to the next generation when they get out into our position. I think that's the biggest difference is that they're not necessarily coming in looking for a particular thing. They're coming in looking for a rotation to learn further about their career, but we turn it into, hey, there's more to medicine than just the four walls and the patient, even though that's the thing we love and why we did it. And so I really try to spend a lot of time talking to them and and having them learn by what I do. Although I don't want them to be a mirror of me, I think that's a bad idea. Um, Not that I'm a bad guy or doctor, but I want them to be who they are, but to see that I took it and did it a certain way. And then talk about the skills and the importance of being involved in the patient's life, involved in healthcare in general. And that's where mentoring really comes in is helping them to see how you do it and hope that you can give them a way that they can take that, uh, I guess, ball and runs for lack of a better term. So the benefits sound, sound great. How does one start the process of finding a mentor. Can you can you give me some tips on finding the right person to be your mentor? So I, I think that in most cases the mentoring is unfortunately somewhat by accident because a lot of these these students 
and I don't just do med students and residents, but I also do PA and nurse practitioner students because it seems that primary care is a difficult thing for them to get with the universities in, the, in this area of Michigan. So I've agreed to take some of them because they, they need to have a primary care experience. And I'm a big believer that primary care needs to grow for healthcare to be better in this country. No offense to all my doctors and my group that are specialists, but uh, primary care, if we're gonna fix healthcare in this country, however you define that, we need to grow primary care. And so I think that for what I do, the mentoring is just by accident. They, or they've heard by word of mouth that, hey, Bickle's a good guy and uh, his hours aren't stupid. And uh, you know he, he gives you a lot of responsibility. So they kind of come in here, some come in because they're assigned. And so the mentoring is just my duty to talk to them and to give them an experience that's beyond just, oh, follow me around, see patients. You got four weeks, make the best of it. Thanks a lot. Goodbye. Now to go to surgery where you'll work 15 hour days um, for whatever reason. And so I think that's how I look at it. However, there are other ways. For instance, um, you know, I'm involved in the mentor program with AAPL where they will match up uh, people that are looking for some mentorship that have similar style or similar uh, responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And that's been uh, one that I've done two or three times since the program started. And overall, it seems to have been very helpful because it's people that are looking to talk about their leadership skills, maybe aren't quite as far along as I am, but certainly are in leadership positions. And so we talk about what do you have to do to move forward? What skills, um, how do you interact uh, with the people that you're trying to lead? And so that's another avenue that we can get mentorship on a more senior level. Um, but from the standpoint of younger doctors, it, it's unfortunately, until we can develop into schools uh, and other programs and residency programs, mentorship as part of it, um, which we'll get into hopefully in a little bit about business knowledge um, and practice knowledge that they don't get in school or in residency. It's a matter of, you know, just getting that into the program. So it isn't just a luck of assignment that you get somebody who actually cares about that. And I think part of why I end up being very busy and I can have five or six students a month. It's pretty easy to do. Um, I have to watch that. I don't go beyond that uh, is because they realize that, at my rotation, they're getting more than just four weeks of walking in a room and seeing patients and following a doctor around. And quite frankly, they don't follow me. I make them go in on their own. And I think that's important. It builds skills that they need to have. So from the mentee's standpoint, what are the characteristics or, or mindset that would be most beneficial for them to help them to get the most out of a mentor relationship? So that's a great question. And I think it's, it's a little different for each person, obviously. But what I want them to do is to be open-minded about the fact that there is more than just seeing the patient, even though that is what we do, that there are other responsibilities, that just being a physician in general, you are a leader. I mean, whether you like leadership, maybe you're not somebody like myself that is is very comfortable getting in front of people and, and trying to, you know, help them to move along like our 500 doctors in this group obviously some are more in need of of i guess helping them to succeed than others but they're all in this together because we do better by being a group and so i i believe that with the students i try to talk to them about so many things um about leadership about the business part of medicine and you know we can't ignore that uh, about being a leader and the biggest thing that i'm that i'm really I'm not saying pushing, but discussing with them is in the last year or two is getting involved 
in where medicine is going. One of the things that I believe we have really suffered from is that we have we have pretty much absconded the control of medicine to non-healthcare people who happen to get a, a, a graduate degree, many of which I already have, big deal. Um, and they're making decisions for healthcare without ever knowing what it's like to actually do patient care. And so while I understand that we're in that position right now and it's become so large with health systems and insurance companies, doctors need to come back and be in leadership roles and not just in a political uh, way, which COVID has certainly pointed out. The, you know, To me, po politics and science don't belong. They're, they're not the same. And yet we're getting doctors taking political stances. I think that's actually really awful. Um, and so I want these people, though, to go out and be involved, to speak up. If they think there's things that can be better, if more doctors speak up, and it doesn't mean naysaying, it just means putting in a different perspective from a clinical perspective of what's important. You know, one of the things I've noticed, Mike, is that the best run health systems, and I work for one of the biggest ones, um, well, that's a different conversation, um, are run by physician CEOs. And 15, 20 years ago, when I was in the AAPL, then the ACPE, that was my goal, was to be a CEO of a hospital, because I felt that there were too many people running them that didn't really know how to balance physician and patient care with the needs of the business. Um, I've changed. I now just want to work with the physicians because I think they have more needs than that. Um, but the best run health systems in the country are all run by CEOs who are doctors. Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, Oxner Clinic, these are all physician led. And I think there's a reason that they're so strong because physician leadership in healthcare is what we need more of. And 12% is not acceptable for hospitals as far as hospital doctor CEOs. So I'm trying to get these, I know not all of them are gonna go onto that, Mike, but I want them to at least be involved, to be interested, to understand that what they're in in healthcare is at a crossroads and they need to be involved in changing it for the good. Um, and, and again, I'm not going to tell them what to do. Just here's something that you can do. I, I invite them to join the AAPL as a student or resident because it's so inexpensive. Um, I tell them to get involved in different things at their hospitals as they get into residency so they can do um, more, hopefully, and, and speak up. And don't just get lost in the thing. Of, and, and I understand it. It's my patient and me in the four walls. Hey, I get it. I love it. I love patient care. I do. But it's it's not the only thing we need to be involved in. So as I mentor, I try to get them to see the picture bigger than just it's me and my four, and my four walls and my patient. And I, I hope that, you know, some of them will go on to do things like that. And, and that's really what I think mentoring is, is they're welcome to disagree. That's okay. Or have conversation. I welcome that. But I just want them to at least open their eyes to that because they don't get it in med school and they don't get it in the residency. And, and that's really unfortunate. So is it fair to say that you have an expanded view of the professional duties of physicians? Yes, I think we I think that, you know, it probably goes back to the old days after the wars when physicians were the the pillars of their community, which has suffered some, but maybe made a little bit of a comeback thanks to covid were heroes. The problem is that's already getting forgotten. I mean, I hate to say it, it is. And uh, you know what? I don't do it for that. You know, people have white ribbons on my tree in my mailbox. That's very nice, but I, I didn't do it for that. So it's nice that people recognize it. But that those days when they were, the, again, they were, doctor spoke, you listen. Those days obviously are different, but it was, they were involved in the community. And now I think a lot, especially my generation, and I'm, I'm you know, in the, the generation that's 
going to be moving on in the next five to 10 to 15 years. Um, we just, we just go through the motions, not all, but a lot. And I think that's really sad. And so, yeah, I, I think we need to be leaders in healthcare, in our community, and not just because I have, you know, Mrs. Jones come in and see me and she loves to see me and, and I, I love having her as a patient, but what do I do to get involved in what goes on? I mean, I'm a volunteer. I get involved in a lot. My wife probably told me, you know, last time I got asked to be on the board, she said, you're done. You've done enough. I, because I hate to tell people no, because as my dad, it's an old quote that he used and, and my dad's been gone for a while. Leadership goes to those who show up. It's a simple quote, but you know, he, he quoted somebody else and I wish I could remember who it was. Um, but I always remember that. And so all you got to do is step in and get involved and you can be a leader. And uh, it's not that hard. It's just, we're not trained to do that. So yeah, I do think we have an, a, a greater need and a greater duty than just seeing patients in the hospital and in the office. You mentioned the lack of training or uh, education on certain type of skills in medical school that are important to physicians in their daily life and their, their, their practice and professional responsibilities. It, I assume that you're helping physicians through mentoring acquire those skills? Well, I wish I had the time in four weeks to do so, but I'm at least starting them by, by giving them examples of where they can uh, make mistakes if they're not careful or get the right help. Now, while I'm not an advocate for attorneys or lawyers or uh, um, accountants or financial people, I do have ones that I know work with doctors that I will say, if you are interested, these people will help you. But let's talk about why you need that help when you go forward. Because when you go to med school, let's be honest, we're still living except for a few exceptions and the Abraham Flexner time, right? From the 1914 or whatever he wrote it, we're still teaching med school like that. And I have my feelings about whether med school is, is set up properly. That's of course a different discussion. Um, but yeah, we, we get out there and we don't teach them about getting, when they get out, even residency is the same thing. So can I tie those together if that's okay? Because residency and med school are kind of tied together. And so what it is, is they get all this clinical and they get all their basic science and then they get their residency. And then usually in the residency, they're looking for a job and they see this group that's looking and they go and they say, oh, this group's great. I love them, but they don't see the whole picture. So they go ahead and they sign a contract with a group and it turns out it isn't as great as what they, you know, wind and dined them into. And so one of the things I tell them is never sign an ownership contract with any group until you've at least worked for one year. And don't do that without a really good healthcare attorney looking at it because you just can give up more than you want to. Without going into too much detail, health systems do that all the time with their contracts. I've been pretty fortunate. They leave me alone probably because I hope they're not watching this, because I know all their, their bosses. I mean, I know the CEO and the COO and all them of the system. And so I kind of get left alone. But in general, the contracts are not great. And these young kids come out of residency, sign, and they give away a lot that they should not. And a good attorney who's worked with that will know. So I tell them about that. I tell them about insurance. You talk about um, you know, what to do as far as buying a home, um, when you should do it. And again, everybody's different. You, you talk about savings and you talk about credit cards and all this stuff that they don't learn. They just want to get out and make money. I mean, they owe 250, 300, 400,000. They just want to get out and make a buck. And I get it because 
I went to med school in New York City where my total debt load was under 100,000. Nowadays, my school's 63,000 a year. So a little, that's just tuition. So I'm trying to get them to understand that there's so much more. And that's in addition to the leadership I want them to practice. And it's a lot. I'm actually discussing with one of the med schools. We just had another talk this week about, you know, they said, well, you want a full-time job? I'm like, no, I just want to come in and talk about business. And I want to talk about malpractice because most of them have lawyers come in and scare the crap out of these kids. And that's not the way to teach it. And talk about primary care, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Those are the things I want to do to get them thinking about it. I, I'm kind of excited because some of the kids that came in to work with me over the last number of years ended up going into primary care. I'd like to think that makes a big difference, but everyone helps. And so that's the thing is they see that, hey, primary care isn't such a, a where a bunch of dummies go because I'm, I'm relatively intelligent. And they think that, you know, because a lot of the specialists, they're, they're wrapped up in their specialty and they're good at it, but they're like this. And of course, they think primary care is dumb or just there to do paperwork. And I'm there to tell them it's not that it's the hardest thing to do just about is primary care, except maybe brain surgery. Although my <laughs> one of my best friends, who's a, a retired chairman of, of neurosurgery in a residency program, bought him a hat years ago that said golf is not brain surgery. And he said, no, golf is harder than brain surgery. <laughs> and so, you know, I always remember that from him. But it's, it's just trying to get them to learn these things. And that's where the mentoring comes in is don't just send them out the door saying, yeah, I taught them how to be a family doctor and see patients in an office and to take care of all those things. Teach them all the things that they need to do to be successful and, and I guess, fulfilled as a, as a physician and to assume some leadership. And uh, I don't know, that's just the way I've felt for a long time, to be honest. I know you were talking about a relatively short time period of, of mentoring, uh, but sometimes people find themselves in a, in a longer term relationship with a, a mentor. How would somebody know if it, that relationship's run its course? Um, I don't know if it's run its course as, as the people that are asking to mentor. So, so I have students that, you know, want to stay in touch, some who want to come and work with me here in the, my leadership role, not my clinical role. And I'm, I welcome them. My staff here, if they come in, they know. And I think what it is, is they'll know when they're ready to go on their own, but they still always have my, my email, my cell phone, if they ever want to ask questions. And so I think that eventually you just, when the, when the mentee is feeling like, yeah, everything I need to do with the open thing that they can call Dr. Bickle if they want to call Randy, because I go by Randy. I'm only Dr. Bickle when I'm at work. Um, and so call me, text me, whatever. I'll be glad to step in. You need some help. You need a letter. I'll be glad to do that because, and all I ask for him, as I said, is that you do it in return when you're in my position. That's all. I don't want anything else from it. I, I, I don't. I just care that you do well and you do it for somebody else because we all do that. We'll do better. So I think there's no set cutoff, Mike. I just think it's sometimes you just know that everything you guys have done. I'll give you an example. One of my mentor mentees from um, the APL mentor thing is now chief executive officer of one of the health systems here in the Midwest. But I mean, he was, we were mentoring. He was asking me because he was looking at taking this job at first as like CMO and we were just talking about, you know, the even though I never did CMO because I turned it down to keep being the CEO of this this group, um, you know, what, what things were involved and is the system because I knew some of the systems, not in Michigan, but close. 
were really what were good, what weren't, what was positive, negative. And we talked probably three, four times over the span of a couple of months. And then he says, you know, I'm ready to take the job. Contacted me about two months later, said I took the job. About a year or so later, he, he said, hey, just want to let you know I'm now CEO. I said, great. So, I mean, do I, do I, you know, still know who he is? Sure. Have I talked to him in like three years? No. But if I see him at one of the meetings, go up and say, hey, how's it going? But that was where we, we got what we wanted out of the mentor-mentee relationship. And it was very uh, satisfying. And so I think that's that's kind of uh, what's makes it satisfying to help people out. At least you hope you did. Well, I'd like to think at this moment that there are people listening to our discussion that are thinking, you know what, I would like to be a mentor. If they haven't done it, can you give two or three tips to someone who's new to the position of being a mentor? Sure, absolutely. I think the first thing is just don't be afraid to do it. Step in and say, hey, you know, give yourself credit and know what you do well, I think is, is, is what is it that you do that you can pass to other people that you think would be unique and helpful? And then that's really important because then when you go in, you know the kind of people that need your help. So that's really important. But the other part I said before is just don't be afraid to do it because it can be so satisfying to help somebody else and think about what you would have gotten and you may have had a mentor in the past in which you got out of it. So that that's a different thing. But it's know what, you, what you're good at, know what you can give people advice on and use that as a basis. Now, you can go beyond that, but at least know what it is you can offer. And then second thing is, be open-minded and listen because you they may want to talk about things outside of that and you may be able to help them more than you think. So I think you have to understand that it's kind of just let the conversation flow, especially in that first meeting or two when you're talking, whether it's live or by Zoom or, you know, whatever. Um, a lot of mine, because they're out of this area, were phone calls and not even Zoom. And, you know, you just you just talk and you kind of gather what what they have to say. And I'd say the final thing is, Keep, keep yourself available to them. I mean, you don't want to be overwhelmed. Um, but then again, I mean, most times they, they, they respect your time and, and they will only, they'll call or they'll email or their text because it's something they really want an answer to. They're not going to like bother you all the time. And, and so it's just leave that open so that they know they have somebody to fall back on if something occurs that you didn't talk about, but they really want to have a discussion about. If you do those three things, um, I think you can really be successful and really find mentoring to be a, a satisfying experience. Do you have a set schedule with your mentees to speak once a week or is it driven by the mentee contacting you? Yeah, well, we kind of agree. I, I, right now, I'm, I, I have no mentees at this point in time. I had one that was local, a leader of a, of a regional group. And I think we kind of just, it kind of slipped and we'll reach out again. And this was more of a real informal talk about, um, you know, what we did, how I got where I was, where they want to go, because they're in a, a pretty large company. Um, but I think it's a, it's a mutual, for the first few months, it's kind of a mutual agreement. Hey, let's talk again in, you know, two weeks, four weeks. And then it gets a little bit less as you kind of accomplish what they want out of it. And, you know, you kind of give them all you can with the idea, hey, let's let's think about talking in three months. Send me an email if you want to talk. If not, contact me anytime. But I think it's really each one is, is unique. And I don't think there's any set way. Sometimes it's, it's the mentee. Uh, I kind of work around their schedule. I'm lucky enough to be flexible. 
I mean, I can usually make the time and, uh, and, and talk to them because I'm, I guess that's one of the nice things of being the boss, even though I'm, I'm a good boss because I sit here in this really giant office they gave me, which I can put a putting green in, don't need this big office. Um, and I just stay out of the way and they come get me if they need me. And I think that's why we've done well because the people that work here are, are awesome and the last thing they need is for me to butt in. So I just stay here and be available. Seems to work pretty well. And I've been the head of this group for 18 years, so they haven't fired me yet. Well, very, very nice. Let's think for a moment about pairing mentors and, and mentees. Is it work best when people are alike? Women with women, men with men, same specialties, people of color with people of color, or is that not necessarily a bad idea? From my perspective, it doesn't matter to me at all. Women, men, uh, black, Indian, white, I don't care. I mean, I, we're, we're all in the same boat to get, yes, we might have different, um, you know, backgrounds. We might have maybe different practice locations. But when you're talking about working with physicians and you're talking about leadership with physicians and, uh, you know, physician groups or hospitals, uh, we all have the same problems and the same I guess, overall uh, things to discuss. And so I, I don't think there's any, maybe other people feel different, but from my perspective, personally, I'll talk, I've had female mentees, I've had male mentees, I've had younger, I, um, you know, but I, I never worked with hospitals, I've worked with groups. So I, I feel comfortable talking to people of anything, but if, if you don't have as broad or diverse, and I've been at this 33 years, so that's why I'm diverse, it's just pure time, right? Um, then I think you try to find people that are in a similar position with maybe a little more experience um, that can kind of understand what you're going through. That That's probably the ideal way to know that it's got a better chance of being fruitful um, because they've got some common things. Now, maybe there's other things like they're, you know, from the same area. Uh, they under they used to be at that group, uh, things like that, where they can Although I think sometimes that's that's not as good because you want a fresh perspective. You don't want the like St. Aloysius outlook because they were at St. Aloysius before you. Um, I think it's better to get a, a one that's like that, but a different outlook. That's how you start to broaden your knowledge. Um, but as far as for me, it's give it a try. It's kind of like when I send patients to psychologists for for because I'm big believer in psychoanalysis and not psychopharmaceutics because we give way too much pharmaceuticals to make people happy again. It's if you aren't comfortable after two or three visits, no offense to them, you need to find somebody else. Because if you're not comfortable, nothing is going to get accomplished or not as much as could be. And I think it's the same thing. Nobody who mentors should feel insulted if somebody decides that they just aren't getting what they want. It's okay. I mean, I'm sure it hurts our ego because doctors don't like their egos bruised. I mean, you know, we're kind of competitive people, right? But I think it's also important that you understand that they're doing this for you're where they want to be in some cases. And in other cases, just it wasn't a perfect fit. But you don't know that till your first visit or two. So you just say, hey, best of luck. If you know somebody that they could mentor with that might be more suited, you can recommend it. But generally, you just if you say APL, you go back to the mentor program and say, hey, you know, it just wasn't working. Um, and, and you give them somebody else. And I think that's, that's, that's it. But I, I don't have, a, I don't care either way. I, I feel like that okay. to me, we, we all have similar, we're similar personalities in some cases and we try to work together. And since I have all daughters working with women is no problem at all. All right. What about preparing a mentee for what the 
mentee mentor relationship is going to be like? Do you ever feel like you need to prepare them for the type of feedback you're going to be giving? Um, I usually think that's a great question. I, I, because yeah, you want to set the table to make sure you're both on the same, same page. And so what I generally do is I, I, I tell them, Hey, what do you, what are the issues you want to talk about? Or is it just, you generally want to just know what I've done, where I've gone, how I've done it. Um, or is there specific issues that you want to talk about as related to the job you're in now or to where you want to go? And then I think we can tailor it from there. So I try to make the first meeting a little broad and try to get a feel for what they want out of the relationship because it shouldn't just be what I think they should get. It may not be exactly that way. And I'm flexible enough to kind of tailor it to what works for them because they're the ones that are looking to, to pick up on what I hopefully can help them with. And that's, I think that's how I've always done is say, you know, what are you doing? How's it going? What are you looking to do? What's your long-term and short-term plans? And, you know, what do you want to talk about? And we can change that as the conversation moves and, you know, maybe three conversations, maybe six conversations. It really kind of depends, Mike. Well, I certainly hope that people listening to you today uh, take up uh, this charge and act as a mentor for other physicians. Dr. Andy Bickle, thank you so much for your time and being on sound practice. Hey, Mike, thanks for having me. Really. It was a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll see each other one time uh, in person. I hope so as well. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Take care. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with AAPL board member, Dr. Randy Bickle. More importantly, I hope it inspires you to seek out a mentor-mentee relationship. Dr. Bickle's expanded view of physicians' duties to younger colleagues is certainly correct. Physician leaders owe it to their community and their profession to offer guidance to those physicians coming behind them. Many thanks to Dr. Randy Bickle for sharing his experience as a mentor with sound practice. Also, thanks to the American Association for Physician Leadership for making this podcast possible. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org.